Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. We're going to continue in our series in the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got a Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you did not bring a Bible or maybe you don't own a Bible, there is one in the pew rack in front of you. It looks just like the one that I am going to use. Uh, and so if you go to page 780, you are going to find um, that, uh, that portion of Scripture. Um, if you're not used to finding your way around the Bible, that's okay. No shame in that. Um, you go to that page, 780, you'll see two columns on that page. We're going to start on the column on the left here in a bit. There's a big eight there. That's the chapter. And uh, I want to read us. A section of a story found in Nehemiah 8. I, I do enjoy reading. I enjoy reading biographies, and I really like reading stories. Um, I read a, a variety of, of biographies, but I, I love reading stories about people who uh, maybe they're serving Christ somewhere, or they have served Christ, or, and especially of their, what it's like for them in their relationship with Christ. And I, I, really, I really am just very intrigued uh, at moments when people have a significant encounter with who God is, especially um, moments of an encounter with his spirit. And a couple of those biographies that have stuck out to me, one by a guy named D.L. Moody. Some of you may know the, uh, the name Moody. He was an evangelist, a pretty effective evangelist. Uh, he, he, was, he was preaching, and, uh, and, and people were coming to Christ. But there was these two women who sat in the front row uh, when Moody would preach, and they would just tell D.L. Moody that they were praying for him, and they were just praying that he'd be filled with the Spirit. And Moody writes in his uh, biography that they just annoyed him. Um, and because he thought, you know, why do, why, why do I need, you know, you know, you know I just had a sense of, of struggle about what they were saying. And, uh, but then before long, he was praying with them. And in Moody's biography, he, he, he lists this, this moment where he has a pretty amazing encounter uh, with the Spirit of God. Uh, here's what he writes. He says, I had been a Christian, and not only a Christian, but a minister and in charge of a mission for some time. I was seeing people convert to Jesus Christ, but still wanted to see more. I kept on crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. The Apostle Paul had an experience of what he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I asked him to stay his hand. Another guy, Blaise Pascal. Pascal, mathematician, uh, operated his life by reasoning and logic and he was a rationalist and he had a friend of his family who was talking to him about Jesus and, and Pascal um, has an encounter uh, with the Spirit of God. In fact, um, Pascal, would, this, this encounter he would have, he would write it out on a piece of paper, and it was such a, a precious moment to him. No one, he never told anybody. He folded up the, the piece of paper and sewed it into the hem of his coat that he wore. And after he passed away, the, the piece of paper was discovered, but this, was what, this is what was written on it. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, November 23rd, feast of St. Clement, from about half past 10 in the evening until half past midnight, fire, fire, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers, not of scholars, 
certainty, certainty, heartfelt joy and peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, O righteous Father, the world does not know thee, but I now know thee. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Encounters like those just, they do something. It's just something that's like, I... I want to experience what, what they've experienced. And, and there have been, been times in, in my life, I'm guessing there's times in your life where you, you felt like, like God was so close, God was so near. And you may have even had moments where you felt like the, the presence of God was so powerful that maybe even the tears were flowing easily. Maybe the joy levels were rising in your heart. Such a strong sense of God's tangible presence with you. And those are wonderful moments, but, but what do you do when that is actually the opposite of your experience? Sometimes you hear stories like that, and you're like, well, man, I just, I'd, I'd love for a moment like that. I mean, what do you do if, if God does not feel tangibly near? In fact, that God would, would you, you would describe as God is, is far away. You long, you, you long to be near to him. You long for him to be near to you. You love to have that close relationship. You have conversations with people, and they talk about their, their faith in Christ and their walk with Christ, and there's something in you that, that yearns to have that kind of a close friendship like, with God as, as they do. What do you do when God feels far? What do you do? And sometimes, sometimes God feels like he's far away because we've, we've, we've really messed up. We've made a, we've made a significant mess, a choice that we, uh, we have made, a decision that we have made, and it, it really has caused quite a mess. And how do, how, do, how do I bridge that gap? And how do I draw near to, to Christ um, when he feels far away? Away and and friends, I, I, the story in Nehemiah eight helps us answer that question quite well. Uh, Nehemiah, 8, if you can go, there, I'm going to read the story here and just kind of answer that question about. So how how do people when people feel far from God, how do they draw near? How do how do you have that close friendship with God? And um, in Nehemiah chapter eight, for the first seven chapters of our story, you've been tracking along with us. This has all been about a construction project. I mean, God has had something on his heart. He's put it on Nehemiah's heart, and this is how callings happen. Sometimes you'll find something comes on your heart, this passion, this emotion rises within you. That's what happened to Nehemiah. He, he goes, he prays about it. He goes to Jerusalem, and they're, they're turning the, the rubble into a wall, and now the wall is complete. And we get to chapter 8, and th- this chapter 8 is a major hinge in the book. For seven chapters, it's all about the wall and rebuilding the wall and the opposition to rebuilding the wall. In chapter 8, we go from construction to reformation or from reformation to renewal or revival. God is going to do a work of rebuilding in the hearts of his people. And so there's going to be a bit of a shift, uh, a focus here. And I I just want to begin reading in chapter 8. I'm going to read the first three verses here and answering this question, what do you do when God feels far away and you long to walk closely with him, but it's just not your experience right now. Some of you in the room, that's where you're at. Or some of you are watching a live stream, that's where you're at. And I've got good news for you. God is at work, and he's drawing you. He wants, he longs to be as close to you as you want to be close to him. 
Nehemiah 8, verse 1 says, In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the Watergate. Now, don't think Watergate as in American history Watergate. This is actually a gate into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it's probably a gate they went through to get, to get water. So it's just inside the water gate. They ask Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. I said the pause button on the story there. We'll pick it up here in a few moments. But here's the deal. What, what, what do you do then if there's a gap? Or you sense I'm not walking close. God seems far from me, and I have desire in my heart to walk closely with him. The first thing I would tell you is simply this. Take heart. Take heart. Now, right away, maybe some of you in the room going, yeah, that, that's not so, not so helpful, Steve. Because right, I'm in a place where I'm actually losing heart. How am I supposed to take heart when, when I'm losing heart? How am I supposed to take heart when I'm discouraged? How am I supposed to take heart when I'm disappointed? And I'm wondering if God even, if, if there's a chance for me to, to walk closely with him. Take heart. Now, why would you say that? Here's why. John chapter 6, verse 44. Um, this is kind of a New Testament picture of this. Jesus, talking to his disciples, says these words, No one is able to come to me unless the Father, the one having sent me, draws him. Now, theologians have, have, have tried to put a, a, a kind of a big word on this, and you don't have to remember the big word, but it's this, this word called prevenient grace. It is a work of grace that God does in us that even allows us to have desire for him. A guy named A.W. Tozer, I think, defines this quite well. Here's what Tozer writes. He says, Christian theology teaches the doctrine of prevenient grace. This is what we're talking about which briefly stated means before a man or woman can seek God, God must first have sought them. Before a sinful person can think a right thought of God, there must have been a work of, an, there must have been a work of enlightenment done within him or her. We pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. You get what, what Tozer is, is getting at here? He, he's saying, if you have any longing in your heart, if you have any desire in your heart for God, the reason you do is because God is already at work in you. He's already done a work of grace in you to, to give you the hunger, to give you the thirst, or the desire to be close to him. So, why take heart? Because God's at work in you. Human beings on their own don't have the capacity to even have desire for God. That's how broken we are. And so God first does a work of creating desire within us for him. Now, we must steward that desire. When we feel that longing, there, there's, there's something for us to do to steward that desire. Kind of reminds me when we were, Trina and I were raising our kids and they were teenagers in the home. They'd be sitting on the couch watching TV, and inevitably, one of them would say, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. 
And, um, and now, when a kid's five years old, you know, you, you know, you know, meals are coming. But yeah, I get them an apple, get them an orange, or cut the apple up. And but when they're seventeen, uh, you, you say, you say, apples are there, oranges are there, cereals in the cupboard. There's a refrigerator. Get off the couch and and go ahead and 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 feed yourself. Um, I, ha- I had a daughter that was the master of getting her brothers to bring her food when she was hungry. Uh, and, uh, and so all I'm getting is that when, when my kids had this, you know, when you had hunger pangs and this, this hunger rises in you, there's, there, you steward that desire. Spiritually speaking, you steward that desire. Take heart. He's at work in you. Take heart. He wants you to be close to him. And, and, and yet, that actually leads us to the second part here, and that is to, to take initiative. There's some initiative to be taken. This is where the stewarding of the hunger comes into play. James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we have that hunger rise in us, there's likely a step that, that we need to take towards him. And when we do, he steps towards us. Now, in this story, in, in Nehemiah chapter 8, the people, that the, the construction project is done. It's complete. And verse 1 says that all the people went back to their towns and their villages, and, and, and they are, they're now settled in, in their villages. And, and then we have this, this unusual thing that happens. Um, there's this collective group of people. They, they're, everyone's together on this. And they come, and they come to Ezra, and they ask Ezra, Please read the book of the law of Moses to us. Now, if you can kind of imagine with me, you know, we, we don't get the full story here. We, we see the big group coming. But when they were back and they were in their towns and settled, and in fact, in Nehemiah chapter 6, it tells us that when the wall was finished, the enemies of Israel knew that this was the work of God. That this rebuilding of the wall, this wall that was ransacked and, and torn down, uh, it laid that way for 90, 40 years, was rebuilt in 52 days. And the enemies of Israel said, this must be God. And if the enemies of God are saying, this must be God, you can be sure that the people of God know that God has been at work. So somebody must have gone to a neighbor and said, hey, God's done something pretty amazing and and." and and I want to know more about this God. I want to know more about the God of our ancestors. And, and it, maybe that person said, yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. Before long, you got the snowball rolling down the hill, right? To the point now, there's neighborhood meetings, and to the point now where you got towns that are meeting, to the point now that the, that the nation of Israel is coming to Ezra. They've taken a step of initiative. There's been a longing. There's been a desire. They've, take, they've stewarded that hunger, and now they're coming to Ezra, and they're saying to Ezra, we want to hear the reading of the book of the law of Moses, which would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those five books. And some of the people have heard the stories. Others have never heard the stories read. But they're they're hungry, and they want to be close to God. They feel far from God. They've seen God at work, and they're longing to be close to him. So let's just pick up the story here as it continues. I'm going to reread verse 3, and as I'm going to read through to verse 12, Notice the desire of the people. Notice the, the attention span. A little bit later in the chapter, we'll read that they're standing anywhere from three to six hours listening to the reading of the word. Notice the reverence and notice their response. 
Ezra, I mean, it's our Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 3. It says, he faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. And to his, to his right stood all his friends. It's really difficult names to pronounce, so we'll go down to verse 5. Verse 5 says, Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites with difficult names were there and instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. Verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. Friends, what do you do when, when it seems like your relationship with God, there's a gap there. There's a distance. God feels far away. You take heart because if you have any longing at all, it's because God's at work in you. And, and there's, there's a step for you to be taken initiative. We need to steward that desire, steward that hunger. The third thing we do here from the story is we just take, we take God seriously. The people are hearing the readings of the book of the law, and what they are doing is they're coming under the, the, the law, and they're letting the law judge them and what's happening as the light of God is shining on them, and what they're experiencing is this desire arises in them to be close with God, and yet when they hear what God requires to be in relationship with them, it feels like the gap is wider. They're, they're weeping. They're crying. Why? Because they know they don't measure up. They know they, sh they, they should be doing some things that they're not doing. And, and they're hearing about their story. And they're hearing about how, 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 how God is going to bless. And then God is going to curse. And, and, and this godly sorrow comes over them. And what is Nehemiah's response? Nehemiah's response is not... That's right, you better get on your knees and you better cry. Some of you are a mess. In fact, you, you, you know what you're doing and if your sins were piled up, they'd be higher than heaven and you, you're guilty and you should be ashamed of how you're living. Nehemiah does none of that. In fact, he commissions the Levites, he sends out Ezra and he too goes into the crowd and he tells people, stop crying, don't weep. And the Levites are saying, hush, hush, this is a sacred day. Why is this a sacred day? And then Nehemiah goes on to say, in fact, stop crying, and I want you to go celebrate Thanksgiving on steroids. Verse 
I want you to throw a party. Have a festival. And if someone doesn't have a turkey in the oven, invite them over and share your food with them. This is a day for celebration. And maybe there's something in us that arises up to celebrate. Why celebrate? They're finding out just how far they are from God. These people haven't even confessed sin yet. They haven't even taken a step of obedience towards God yet. Throw a party. In fact, Nehemiah would go on to say, stop crying. This is a sacred day. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What in the world is going on here? A lot of years ago, our family was living in Hong Kong. And um, we had kids in high school, kids in middle school. And, um, and we, we were, one night we were in our apartment and we're watching a movie and um, I, I noticed that one of our kids wasn't there watching the movie and it was my oldest son, Chase. And, and then I saw, I saw him come down the hallway and pop into the, our little kitchen there in the apartment and get something to drink and he went, went back to his room. And I just thought to myself, oh, that's kind of odd. And, and then I, I heard God just speak to me and say, there's something that's not good is happening back there. Uh, and by the way, I, I called my son, Chase, and asked him, Are you, you cool with me sharing the story? And, and he was like, yep, go for it. Um, I, I sense there's not something good going back there. In fact, I heard the word pornography. And, and so I just got up and slipped back into the hallway and opened the door and um, Chase was in the seventh grade at that time. He was about 13-ish and I opened the door and pop in and say, hey, dude, what's up? And he just like, you know, very nervous-like, stands up and said, no, no, nothing, nothing's up, Dad, nothing. And if you're a parent, you, 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 that jittery, nothing's going on. There's always something going on. Um, and, but his face was just kind of, you know, shocked. And I, I said to him, hey, um, where is it? Where's what? Where's the porn? And his mouth opened and his face went white and he, what was going on in his brain was, do I try and hide this? Or do I share it? And, and, and if I share that, that there, there is pornography in my room, Am I going to be condemned? In fact, as he's answering me, he says, um, it, it's over here, but am, am I going to be okay? <laughs> I looked at him. By the way, I'm, I'm telling the story, and um, well, let me just keep going. Am I going to be okay? And I, I sit him down, because he pulls up his mattress and pulls out um, some DVDs that he's just bought off the streets of Hong Kong. And I say to him, dude, this is my hometown. I grew up in this town. I went to seventh grade in this town. And when I was in the seventh grade in this town, they had these newspaper stands. Um, they sold magazines and newspapers, and they were just out in the open. And there was pornography out in the open. It was just out there. You didn't have to buy anything. 
And as a young man growing up in this town, I, I could walk down the street, just hop on a bus, go downtown, walk around the street, find one of these newspaper stands and see all that porn there and linger. And, um, and then what I could do is I just sort of just walk around the block and come back again and linger some more. And, and I did that. Um, and that's what I was going to say is that um, my parents come to 5 o'clock service. It's tough when your parents come to church. Uh, <laughs> and the reason I'm telling them this is because I want them to know that this is going from boy to man and all the stuff that's going on in him and, and to have all this stuff readily available to him it's a huge temptation, and I told him, look, here's the, dude. Here, here's the deal, dude. That stuff will destroy you. And, and I had him give it to me, and, um, and we prayed together. And I think in that moment, if I had spoken words of condemnation to him, that would have been the last time he came clean with me. I'm not the perfect dad. Just have a conversation with one of my kids. But in that moment, I, I just learned a lesson that, yeah, you, 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 need to, you need to take God seriously. But when we take God seriously, it's not so that words of condemnation can be spoken to us to tell us how lousy of a person we are. We know that really well. Where the joy comes from, where the joy of the Lord being our strength is, is that when we see the gap from where we are and where God is, when my son sees the gap between where he is and where God has called him to be, and, and if we can see that and not, instead of hearing condemnation, we hear acceptance and forgiveness and grace, something radically happens in our hearts. The people of Israel are standing there and the, and the light of God's word is shining on them and they're feeling the weight and they're experiencing godly sorrow. They're weeping. And the reason Nehemiah is saying, stop weeping, is because that moment is worth celebrating and it's worth celebrating because any moment you experience godly sorrow is the moment where God's he's stepping in and saying, okay, they get it. That's where God does some of his most amazing work is when we let his voice speak to us and we see where we really are. My son and I slipped out of that apartment that night. I, I didn't say anything to Trina about it because I didn't want him to be shamed. We went out, we ditched the stuff, we went to a little corner store and we grabbed some sodas and some ice cream because ice cream heals all wounds and we just talked. But there's something that, the voice of the punisher rises within us and we, and we, we want to withhold grace until someone has confessed, until someone has taken the steps of obedience in the right direction. And friends, there are circumstances where that's completely appropriate. But oftentimes, oftentimes we just, we, we, we live with, a, okay, prove it, then I'll, then I'll celebrate. And what's happening here is God's saying, now, you've already proved it because you're filled with godly sorrow. That's the beginning of a restoration and a bringing together of you and God. So what, so what do we do then if, 
we find ourselves in a place where we're longing to be with God and we're, we feel like he's at a distance So we've already talked about this, it's take heart, he's at work. There's likely a step for you to take. Maybe that step is having a conversation with a friend and saying, this is the stirring in my heart. I wanna, I wanna walk closer with Jesus. Uh, maybe it's being part of a group or a community group or maybe it's just uh, it's collectively people saying, you know, we're gonna commit to just, maybe we're gonna pray five minutes a day because we haven't ever prayed and we want to start out. We're gonna start reading our Bibles and we're just gonna pick a book and read a, read a chapter a, you know, a day or something like that. We're just gonna, there's a step that God's calling to you and as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you and especially as you let the light of Christ shine. Friends, the good news is this. God sent his son not to wag his finger at us and show us what a mess we are. He sent his son to pay the penalty for our sinfulness so that we could be recipients of grace, so that we, by believing him, might be called sons and daughters of God. That's good news. That's why we're celebrating. That's why there's a party being thrown. Now, they'll, they'll confess. They'll, they'll tell their story. They'll, they're actually going to come to a point where they're going to put their name on the line and say, I'm in with you, God. But let's just go back to where we started. Are you here today and it just feels like there's a distance between you and God? Maybe that gap or that distance is because you, you, you made a poor choice. And there's some consequences to that and there's some steps you take, but you long to be close with God. As Jeff and the team join me back out here on the, on the platform here in a few seconds, I think it's really important for us to, to mark these moments and to just respond. And, and the response could just simply say, you know, God, I, I, I have desire to be close to you, and right now I don't feel very close, and so I'm just saying to you, thank you for putting that hunger in me. Now, speak to me and show me what step I need to take. Draw near to him. Or maybe you're at a place where you're just like, I... I want more, I want more. I, I want to go deeper with you, Jesus. It's just expressing a need. And what happens is we take the, that hunger rises and we just steward that hunger and we, we step towards him. God steps towards us. Because he longs for his friendship with you to grow. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.